Okay, so let, okay, so let me just mute everybody. Um, smaller crowd today, but nothing we can do about that. Um, welcome everybody to the Shil Ilu Nishmoso, Ephraim Shmuel Ben Avramari Hakohen and Chaya Tova Bas Eliezer Mendel Hakohen on the Book of Yechezkel. We are in Chapter Eleven, Verse Nineteen, um, right at the end of this four-chapter vision of Yechezkel. We're coming right to the end of it now, um, as is normal in prophetic uh, visions. The first part of the vision is very dark, um, promising retribution and punishment and exile and destruction. And the last part of it is normally words of comfort, which we started last week. God is, has promised in the previous verses, previous to verse 19, um, to eventually at the end of the day to return the Jews to the land of Israel, that they'll be reestablished on the, in the land of Israel and that uh, they will remove all the excesses when they return. they got a responsibility to remove all the excesses of the past, all the paganism, and uh, well, not literally paganism, we've got rid of the paganism, but the um, mistakes of the past, the sexual mistakes of the past, the lack of unity mistakes of the past, and as a result of that, God makes a promise here in verse 19. <clears throat> and the promise is a very strange one, and it needs to be examined carefully um, because it affects us. Because uh, the previous verses in this chapter have already come to fruition um, with the return of the Jews to the land of Israel. God has Vikibatsky, uh, which we described last week. Uh, both gathered us, uh, gathered us in or collected us in uh, from the four corners of the world, but Osafti, and not only that, but uh, was, we just explained last week in the Shia the difference between Bikibatsti and Osafti. One is to collect and one is to gather. Uh, the implication is in relation to the uh, the Jewish diaspora in relation to the ten tribes. Uh, two different types of ingathering, but certainly one of them is in full swing. And so the next verse, the verse that's coming up, verse 19, is very prescient, very, very important to us, um, because part of this prophecy of Yechezkel is in the process of being fulfilled. So God says, Venosati, this is verse 19, chapter 11, verse 19, Venosati I will give them one heart, talking about the Jews that are returning to the land of Israel, and a new spirit I will place inside of them. I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh. And I'll replace it with a heart of flesh, a, an organic heart. But remove the inorganic, inanimate heart and replace it with an organic heart. So... The first thing to do is here is really to understand the simple meaning of the verse and then plummet's depth. Um, because as I said, it, it relates directly to us. This is something that, um, Irwin, who's not here today, interestingly enough, Irwin, no, he's not here. Um, Irwin raised with me, Irwin Posner raised with me, um, in a previous year. He was asking about this verse. So, uh, I'm sure he'll pick it up on the recording. So, 
The first thing to do is just to get the simple meaning of the verse provided by the Radak, Rabbi Kimchi. He says, What does that mean? One heart. There'll be a united front. God demands a united front uh, to be in awe of God. If you're given the lamb back, there's a responsibility to be in awe of God. Yira does not mean fear. Yira Hashem does not mean fear of God. We're not required to fear God. We're required to be in awe of God. Yira is awe. We're required to uh, control ourselves and not turn our, our hearts uh, after things that uh, the Torah considers to be abominations, which we'll discuss a little bit later. That uh, the focus of all our attention will be on keeping the Torah and our connection to God. And he distinguishes between Leif or Evan, the Redak says, what's a, a, a stone heart? People have got the, the nature of people is that they're not prepared to accept rebuke. They're not prepared to uh, be criticized. And that's going to change. And it's going to change into a leiv basar. The leiv basar ki abasahu rach. Flesh is soft, gentle. V'yiya libom rach l'kabel musa. And to create a nation that's capable of being, um, you know, accepting criticism and not being defensive. And as we'll see shortly when we look at the uh, Barbanel, um, uh, what's important here is to understand these commentators. Now, the Radak speaking from a thousand years ago, the Barbanel speaking from 500 years ago. Um, they couldn't possibly envis- envisioned the situation that we find ourselves in today when we've actually been returned to the land. <clears throat> so the, the Babanel's got a, a basic comment he makes on this verse. He says, from He said the idea of one heart and a new spirit that will come inside the Jewish peoples. This refers, says the Babanel, to the end of days when all 12 tribes will return. <clears throat> <clears throat> and he says, It's important to remember that when the two when the two countries divided, split, when the twelve tribes split <clears throat> <clears throat> shortly after the death of King Shlomo Solomon, after King Solomon, uh, the country split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Um for almost all the period that the two kingdoms were uh, next to each other, a state of war and hatred existed between them. Uh, there, were oft- there was often a civil war. And Chiluk Malchius for Chiluk Lvovos. It was based on a divided monarchy and a divided ideology and a divided kingship. And you had two nations, both ostensibly Jewish, um, but at constant war with each other. And what's important to remember is that when the Northern Kingdom went into exile, um, they were at war at the time with the Southern Kingdom. And um, if you go on the on YouTube and you listen to uh, various um, uh, documentaries or conversations between the leaders of various Northern Afghanistan tribes who consider themselves to be Beni, Beni Israel, uh, the lost ten tribes, 
um, they've got a, a, a loathing for Yehudim, for not literally for Jews, but they got a lo- loathing for Yehudim in the sense that the tribe of Yehuda, because when they left, uh, they were at war with Yehuda. And so the Babanel says here, when the Jewish people return to the land of Israel and eventually the arrival of the 10 tribes or what's left of the 10 tribes, uh, we see them arriving, um, we have seen them arriving uh, in piecemeal, uh, in dribs and drabs over the last 25 years. Um, that that sinner, that hatred between the two uh, kingdoms will be forgotten. And also, this type of hatred existed among the Jewish diaspora as well, the two tribes, which was the tribe of Yehuda and the tribe of Binyamin, which is what we are, the Jewish diaspora, what the rest of the world called the Jewish the Jewish diaspora. Uh, there was terrible problems between them in exile. Lochain Omar, and that's why God says here at the end of days, that uh, one of the features at the end of days, that uh, before the Mashiach comes, uh, there'll be a levechot, there'll be unity. But Yechezkel is being told here, that uh, the Mashiach's not going to come. You're going to be returned to the land of Israel. Um, but Mashiach can't come until all the old hatreds are going to be set aside between the Jews of Yehuda and the returning t- t- uh, ten tribes. And also the um, senseless hatred that exists between Jewish groups within the context of the Jewish diaspora. And all the issues that divided the Jewish diaspora for generations will have to be forgotten. Everyone will have to get along with each other and respect each other's opinions, which is something, you know, uh, the land of Israel at the moment is um, overrun with polarization and uh, you can see it uh, if you want to see it. Uh, for those that live in Israel, you want to see, you can see every Saturday night demonstrations and uh, and accusations and uh so this Ruach Chadosha Eten Bekirbuchem, this new spirit of a Leivachad, of unity, uh, we haven't managed to get hold of that yet. We haven't managed to sort that out yet. One of the great um, Hasidic leaders of the um, 19th century, uh, Rabbi Mordechai Yosef Laina of Izbitza, Izbitza um, who lived 1800 to 1854, he makes a similar point in his Sefer. He wrote a Sefer called Tiferes Yosef. Um, he's discussing Sukkot, actually, at this point in his book. He says that one of the most important things to understand is the Indian Simcha. He's talking about the Simcha of Yom Tov, the, um, the spirit of um, enjoyment, internal enjoyment of Yom Tov. He says, the Indian Simcha, if you want to know what Simcha is, then read the book of Yechezkel, chapter 11, verse 19. It says, because he says, for his sarity lay for Evan, mipsorum, but nasati lahem lay for so. The idea is to remove that your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Ki ikah hasimcha kashem makir she'ein odom noga v'mesh emuchan l'chaveiro. The essence of the words of Yechezkel uh, is this, that 
the foundation of a nation that is besimcha, that is in joy, is when each person knows, respects, and does not touch what God has assigned to his fellow man. Um, a lave forever, a heart of stone, always begrudges the affluence and the success of others. Simcha also means that a person does not yearn for anything that God has denied him. And, uh, you know, why can't, why can't I be like him? Why can't I have his success? So the essence of unity comes when a, a person's got a lave bosar, a heart of flesh, and he counts his blessings rather than what he doesn't have. Uh, and he writes, the society is truly besimcha when there's no jealousy and when each person is contented with whatever brocha God has appointed a portion to him or her. And uh, you'll never get unity and you'll never get sim- real simcha in your life unless you adopt that. Just be happy with what God has given to you. And don't be looking uh, over the garden fence at what God has given to somebody else. Otherwise, you'll never be besimcha. You'll always be jealous. You'll always be wondering why, why couldn't have I, why couldn't God have given me that? Well, the reality is, you know, um, when you look over the other side of the fence, you don't know what happens behind closed doors and you don't know what another person's suffering. Um, my father used to have an expression, um, you know, you wouldn't be so quick to jump into somebody else's grave. So don't be so keen to jump into somebody else's life. Because you don't know what behind the scenes, what troubles they've got. Just be content with what you've got. And says uh, says uh, the Izbitzer, uh, that that is what Yechezkel means here. That when God returns you to the land of Israel, so you've got to be happy with what you've got. This is it. What God gives you is what God gives you. So that uh, really, the Hasidic Drosha and the Radak and the Barbanel, gives us a basic outline, simple outline of what this verse means. But of course, when it comes to Yechezkel, there's always a much deeper message um, going on in virtually every verse. And of course, this verse in particular affects us today more than any other generation of the last two and a half thousand years. Because this verse describes the fourth and fifth of six steps that God describes in this chapter as a source of nechama, of comfort to the people. Remember, Yechezkel is going to be telling the people that the base of Migdash, the first temple, will be destroyed. There'll be multiple casualties. Those who survive will go into exile. Um, And it's the first of other exiles. And it's all pretty dark. So the message of comfort um, has to be pretty strong uh, to keep the Jewish people going. And of course, we've had the this nechama, this uh, uh, consolation, these words of comfort to the Jewish people in five, in six steps here. And it started off in verse uh, seventeen, uh, where God says He's going to ingather the Jews. Which we keep This is verse seventeen. We keep batzdiyeschem God says, "I will gather you from the people, and I will collect you from the lands." which you've been scattered to. That was number one. Step number two was in verse 17 as well, where God says, And once I've been gathered you and collected you from the four corners of the earth, I will, I will give you, can we, 
Can people no, mute them? Can people no. mute themselves, please? Oh, I don't know what that was all about. Um, so, yeah. So, step two. God promises to give the Jewish people the land of Israel forever. Well, Admas Yisrael. Um, and uh, those two those two statements don't come any, with any conditions. Uh, that's a statement of fact that uh, there'll come a point in Jewish history when the Jewish people will be gathered and the land of Israel will be returned to them. And that's where we are now. That's the point where we are in history. And then came step three, which was in verse 18, that when the Jews arrive back in the land and they're placed back in their, uh, in the land of Israel, uh, there's a responsibility to dis- discard all paganism and sexual immorality from the land, as verse 18 outlines. This is what our responsibility is when God returns us to the land. Will, you will have to remove all the detestable things, which is referring to about Zorah, paganism. In the modern context, uh, I would suggest very strongly. That is the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of affluence, the pursuit of the worship of materialism. But as And you also have to remove all the abominations from the land. The, the, the Torah itself represents objective morality, not subjective morality. We don't, Judaism doesn't go in for subjective morality. We're not interested in uh, the morality of the 20th century, the 19th century, the 18th century, the 15th century, the 4th century, or the 23rd century. The only thing Judaism is interested is in is the objective morality that the Torah provides. So we got a we got a responsibility, uh, having been returned to the land of Israel, of instituting that objective morality. That was step three, which is the point where we're at now in history. Step four. God will get, give, then give the people, as we've just described, one heart and a new ruach, a new spirit, which is the verse we've just read. God will provide us or God will uh, create a situation where we can have unity in the country. And there'll be a new spirit, not new in the sense that it's brand new, something new, something new in creation, but new in the sense that it takes us back to the time at Mount Sinai, which is really the last time in Jewish history where the Jewish people have actually been completely and utterly united. By Yichan Tacha Sahara, the Apostle says in the singular, the Jewish people camped as one uh, next to the mountain, underneath the mountain. So that's step four. Um of the messianic era, which we just described. And step five is also in verse 19. God will then replace the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. So if you pay attention to this prophecy, it seems that only one of the five steps uh, fall as an obligation on the Jewish people themselves, which is step three. The Jews are required to discard all the paganism, all the sexual immorality from the land. All the other four steps, which is the ingathering of the exiles, of all the exiles, their subsequent or subsequent autonomy over the land of Israel, uh, which we've already received, the receipt of one 
one heart of unity, a gift from God, a new spirit, switch over from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh so that we can appreciate every every person that we meet rather than be uh, incapable of feeling good about the achievements of other people. Instead, we feel jealous of them. Why couldn't it have been us? That's a, a lave basar. All these four steps are things that God will provide. And the only thing that we're supposed to do is when we get back to, to, to in other, the only thing, all these, all the other things that God promises is uh, deliveries by God. The only thing that it all depends on is when we get back to the land of Israel, what do we do when we do, when we, when that happens? Um, what's going to be our approach when God returns us to the land of Israel? So if we look at the Gomorrah in Brochus, uh, and, uh, in the Gomorrah and Brochus on Daflamad Bays on Adalaf on page 32a, we can start to unravel these verses, these last few verses from verse 17 through verse 19. And the Gomorrah says as follows, and this is what's really shocking, um, shocking to me, um, it should be shocking to everybody. The Gomorrah says like this, and uh, again, you, if you want to know what's going on in the world, don't read the newspapers. Turn CNN off. Get your Tanakh out. And uh, you'll find everything everything you need to know about the world as it stands, as it was, and as it will be, you'll find in the Tanakh. Says, says the, and you'll find it in the Tanakh, and you'll find it explained in the Gemara. The Gemara in Brocha says as follows. Omar Rab Choma, Rabbi Chanina. Rab Choma, the son of Rabbi Chanina, said like this. Il mole shlosh mikros halolu. And this multitude raglaim shall sony Israel. Had it not been for these three verses, the legs of the enemies of Israel, which is a euphemism for Israel itself, in other words, the legs of the Jewish people would have collapsed because Israel would never have been able to withstand God's judgment if it wasn't for these uh, three verses. What three verses is the Gemara talking about? Says so the Gemara, first verse is Chaddisit. The Possek says in Micha, that uh, the Possek says, On that day, says God, Micharis, the prophet Micharis is talking about the end of days as well. Uh, God says, On that day, I will heal the one whose limps and the, the person who is lost, Akapsa, I will gather for Asher Hariosa. And those Jews I caused to do evil. I'm going to ingather all the Jews that I caused, God says, that I caused to sin. I'm going to ingather them. The Gemara says, what's the second posuk? The posuk says, He nekechoma biyad uh, we know this verse very well. We should know this verse very well. We say it in Kol Nidre. We say it on Yom Kippur. It's a verse from Yirmiyahu. Uh, we are like clay in the potter's hands. So you are in my hand, in God's hand, house of Israel. Meaning it's me. It's me, God that formed you in a particular way, 
So I, God, I am partially to blame for the way you turned out, for the way you behaved. Two verses that seem to imply that God, so to speak, holds his hands up and says, it's true. You Jews have behaved, behaved badly, but at the end of the day, I created you in this particular manner, and I'm partially responsible for that. And the third posuk is our verse. The final posuk is our verse from Yechezkel, says the Gomorrah, that God says uh, in Yechezkel chapter 11, verse 19, our posuk, and he repeats it later when we get to chapter 36, God will repeat this verse. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you um, a heart of, uh, instead of a heart of stone, impervious to other people's feelings, I'll give you a heart of flesh where you can feel, your heart can feel for everybody else. So the Gemara that these three verses indicate that God's influence, that God influences a person's decisions and therefore one does not have sole responsibility for one's actions. Now, if the Gemara wouldn't have said this, uh, I couldn't possibly have said this. But this is exactly what the Gemara says. These three psukim from, from prophets indicate that God, so to speak, takes partial responsibility for the way the Jewish people have behaved in first temple times, in second temple times, and in all subsequent times. Now, Rashi on this Gemara says as follows. It wasn't for these verses these three verses indicate that God could have corrected our behavior by removing the Yetzirah from us. We know that the Yetzirah works very hard. The evil inclination works very hard to get us to do things that we shouldn't really do. It confuses us. It We'll discuss later exactly the methods, methodologies that the Yetzirah uses, but it's different for every person. Every human being is susceptible to a different type of seduction. But the Yetzirah is very strong. And uh, the higher you go up the spiritual ladder, the uh, the harder the Yetzirah works and the more powerful it becomes. Rashi says, Asha, yesh lanu pischom peshu goram lanu shabora Yetzirah. He says, but since God did not do that, God did not weaken the Yetzirah, the evil inclination from inside us, we have a, gla- a claim against his judgment, the claim against his judgment against us by claiming that he, God, God is at least partially responsible for the way we were influenced by our evil inclination, and he's partially responsible for our sins. Basically, don't God, don't blame us. Blame yourself for creating the Yetzirah. And that isn't to excuse it. That's just to say that uh, we're not totally responsibility. Uh, we don't have total responsibility for the sins we commit. After all, the the Yetzirah, which is a foundation of humanity, and no other creature has a Yetzirah or a Yetzatov, no other creature has a an evil inclination or a good inclination, as I say many times, uh, all animals act out of instinct. They don't act out of compassion. Squirrels don't have compassion for injured squirrels. They'll just steal their nuts and they won't ring the hospitals and say, you know, I've seen a, an injured squirrel here. Get over here straight away. 
Animals act by instinct. Human beings are not supposed to act by instinct. They're supposed to make free will decisions about revolving around what's right and what's wrong. But God put the Yetzirah there. And as Rashi says in this Gemara, that's uh, that's a claim we've got against him, that he's partially responsible. Now, of course, this Gemara is very difficult to understand. After all, it's one of the foundational principles of this project, of this world, this environment that God has created for the human condition. God's project, that there must be a Yetzirah, there must be an evil inclination, and there must be a Yetzirah, there must be a an inclination to do good, to allow people to make free will decisions and create the template of reward and punishment based on free will decisions. If you do something good, there are good consequences. If you do something bad, there are bad consequences, all based on your free will decisions. So the question is, which is asked by many commentators on this Gomorrah, which is, again, really based on our on our our, our posuk here, because uh, Yechezkel is basically saying the same thing here, that we were created with a heart of stone. It's only at the end of days God's going to replace the heart of stone. The heart of stone is the Yetzirah. We don't want to do things. We're stubborn. We want to do what we want to do. We don't want to be influenced by what's right. We want to, We want an inanimate heart of stone. We want to be able to do things without feeling regret without feeling remorse. We want to do things with, you know, we want to do things we want to do. And we don't want to feel rebuked by it. We don't want to feel remorse by it. We don't want to feel regret for it. And God says, okay, at the end of days, when, you know, you return to the land of Israel, I'll give you what you want. And uh, as all the commentators point out here, what's the point of that? Like the whole essence of the project is that we should make free will decisions and be rewarded for it. And as we make good free will decisions, we become more godlike and uh, our connection to God improves. And that's the name of the project. So the Marsha here, I'm not going to bring you all the commentaries, but I'm going to tell you what the Marsha here says on this Gemara. He says, listen, of course, human beings are responsible for their actions. The intent of this Gemara is this, however. If the Yetzirah, if the evil inclination were an inter- integral part of us, meaning if a human being is defined as being a mixture of his good, his evil inclination and his good inclination, he's a, he's a mixture of his Yetzirah and his Yetzirah and, and that is our essence as human beings. That's what we are. We are merely a combination of uh, a good an inclination to do good and an inclination to do bad. If that were the case, if that's what we are in essence, and I would sin and allow the Yetzirah to take over over me, take over my decision-making process, then there would be no way for me to be rectified. There'd be no teshuva. I would have to be destroyed because by because by being controlled by the Yetzirah, by the evil inclination, means that I am inherently flawed and irredeemable. Now, this sounds very much like Christianity, but um, that's not what the Gemara is saying here. What it is saying is that our essence as, hum- as human beings is not very important, not defined by being a mixture of a Yetzirah, of an evil inclination, 
fighting against a toe, which is an inclination to do good. That is not what defines our essence as human beings. The Yetzirah, says the Marashah, is a different external entity that has been inserted into us to allow us to make free will decisions and to suffer the consequences of bad decisions and be rewarded for good, good ones. My essence as a human being is therefore not defined as me being a mixture of a Yetzirah and a Yetzirah Tov. My essence is defined as being that it is a mixture of a physical body and a spiritual soul whose essence is good. The essence is good because we're created in God's image. The Neshama we've got, which is part of our makeup, which contains the Yetzirah Tov, the inclination to do good is part of us. But God, as part of the created process, inserted into us an external foreign element, which we call the Yetzirah, which, which was originally the snake. You read the creation narrative. It was originally external. Remember, the snake was not part of uh, Chava's uh, uh, essence. It was a, an external voice talking to her beyond her physical being. So the Yetzirah was originally an external force, force, an external voice in the creation narrative. God made sure that the ex, that external force, that external voice was inserted into us after the sin that took place in the Garden of Eden. As a result of that part of the creative process, when we sin, we have to pay for it. If we sin and we don't do teshuva, we are punished. And that is the foundation stone of our belief. But says the Marshal, that process of punishment for sin, because it's essentially an external force and not part of our natural makeup, doesn't destroy us or compromise our ability to exist. It means that this external tool is designed to allow us to correct ourselves, advance ourselves, improve ourselves and reach our potential and get closer and closer to God. And that is the essence of what we are as human beings. The essence of what we are as human beings is goodness. The ability to get closer to God. The way God chose to allow us to advance in that way was to insert an external force into us that wasn't there as part of the creative process but it's an external force that allows us to advance by making goodwill decisions, good free will decisions and ignoring the external pressure that is applied that is not part of what we are. The essence of a human being is his struggle to get close to God and to connect to God. The Yetzirah is an external fence or barrier that is designed to prevent us from connecting to God so that we can be rewarded for overcoming our struggles that we can be rewarded for jumping those fences, avoiding those potholes in the road and achieving the status of what our essence is to be as godlike a creature or as being as godlike as a created being can be. So the Marshal says what we are in essence is a being that is really totally good in essence. But God felt in his infinite wisdom that the project would be, um, his project could only go forward 
if God inserted into man this external force that is not part of what he essentially is, but it allows him to struggle, allows him to struggle in life. And says the Mashah, that is what's being said here in these three verses quoted in the Gemara. Micha says, meaning I, God, admit that I inserted a tool inside each and every one of my creations, the human race, that allowed you to choose to do evil. So you could achieve your potential and realize what your essence truly is. Similarly, in Yirmiyahu, Yirmiyahu says, You are the original raw material. You're the Chomer, the original raw material that I, God, admit I placed you at the mercy of the hand of an external force. You are the original essence of the human being I created, but I put you biyad hayotza. I placed you in the hand of an external force, the yotza, which is the yetzara, the evil inclination, so that you could achieve your potential and realize what your essence is. But eventually, as Yecheskel says here, which is the third verse quoted in the Gemara, which means eventually there will be only one force pulling at your heart when you make decisions, not two. And that's what it means, lev echad. Lev echad is actually what your true essence is, the overriding desire to do good. And that will mean that there will be a ruach chadosha. When the overriding, when God removes the Yetzirah, which makes the heart into one, because at the moment our hearts are split two ways. You get an opportunity to do something, so the heart's pulling in two directions. One one voice is telling you, you know, go to the ball game or go to the strip club, and the other voice is saying, go to the Shear, go to Daphne. But at the end of the day, God says, I'll remove that. That external force that was there in, at the start of the creative process there'll come a time when I'll remove it and you'll be left with just Levechot, your true essence, the overriding desire to do good. And that will mean that there will be a Ruach Hadosha, as this verse says, Yecheskel says, a Ruach Hadosha, a new spirit, not, not a spirit that can be compromised, but a godly spirit that governs the way you conduct your life. And this is because, says God, Vahasi Rosi, this possible. There will come a time when God will remove the lev ho'even. The lev ho'even is this external force, the Yetzirah, the, the, the force that won't back down, that's permanently at you, like a stone. You can't get past it. It always wants you to do something that's inappropriate, that's inanimate, that gains nothing, that's got no life to it. An Evan is a stone. It's got no intrinsic, it's got no intrinsic value in the sense that it doesn't have any, it, it, it's a barrier. And, uh, so it's called the Lave or Evan, uh, the external force, this Yetzirah that God inserted into the Jew, into the Jewish people, into humanity during the creative process that allowed you to battle and achieve your to achieve your essence, your potential as a godlike creature. And this lay for ever, 
this etern external force, which we call the Yetzirah, will eventually be removed by God, and all that will remain then is a lave basar, the original raw material that God created when he created the human being, a heart which is organic, a heart that is the essence of what you actually are. It, 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 it represents the, the coming together of the physical body and the spiritual soul, a godlike creature that is capable only of good. So said, says the, um, says the Marshal, this is the promise here in this verse. The promise in this verse is there'll come a time if you, if you do what God wants you to do when you return to the land of Israel, then this is what awaits you. But, uh, all these things, all these temptations, uh, to go after materialism, uh, to be, to be obsessed with things that, uh, or to even be influenced by things that the Torah considers to be objectively immoral, they won't exist for you anymore. You'll only see the good side and you'll only see the good decisions and you'll only see the good in other people. And that's the lave bossar being replaced, replacing the lave forever. The Levo Evan is the Yetzirah. It doesn't want you to become a real human being. It wants you to stay inanimate. It wants you to be hard like a stone and not, not, not be a heart that goes out to people, the heart that goes out to God. And this interpretation of this Gemara by the Maoshoi is very, very powerful. And it's an interpretation that's supported by many opinions, uh, particularly the Chidot. Chaim David Azulai writes here again, here in on this Gemara, and he writes it here on this Posuk. He said, and he gives you a, a Kabbalistic uh, uh, approach as well. He says, The word Chadosha here, this new spirit that will be uh, part of the Messianic era, Gematria uh, Yetzatov. The, um, the the word Chadosha from the Ruach Chadosha from the new spirit. The word Chadosha is Ches Dalad. Ches is eight. Dalad is four. Twelve. Shin is three hundred. That's three hundred and twelve. And Hey is five, which is three hundred and seventeen. And that's the gematria of Yetzatov. But the Ruach Chadosha Yetzatov is Yud, which is ten. Sadik, which is nine, ninety, which is a hundred. Rache is 200, that's 300. Tov is Tess, 9. Bob is 6, um, that's 15. And Base is 217, that's 317. So read Ruach Hadosha, read Ruach Yetzatov. But uh, in the Messianic era, the Yetzatov will disappear and there'll only be Yetzatov. And that's why there'll be Leib Achas. There'll be no nothing in the heart that will turn you towards evil and everybody everybody as a result of that every there'll be no hatred there'll be no hatred among for for other jews there'll be no hatred for anybody everybody will be satisfied with what they've got with what they've got and the only thing people will be interested in is connection to god there'll be no because as Yecheskel said I will remove that heart of stone, the Yetzirah, from your flesh. The only thing that will be left 
will be your true essence, which is the way God created you originally in the Garden of Eden, which was a Yetzatov, which was a, you were a new creature, a Chadosha, what Adam Orishan was. He was a brand new creature, and he was born just with the Yetzatov. The Yetzatov was external. Uh, it was the snake. And uh, we see this this idea coming out from many sources here on this Gemara and on this Posuk in Yecheskel. Um, the Agudas Beratius, the Sefer Agudas Beratius, quotes a Posuk from Yeshayahu, from Isaiah in chapter 66. Uh, Yeshayahu is talking about, again, talking about the Messianic era. And the Posuk says there, the sas libchem, and you'll see, and your heart will rejoice. And your bo- bones will bloom like grass. And the hand of God will be known to his servants, known in the sense of experience. You'll experience God. And he will be angry with his enemies. You'll see God coming out of the woodwork, so to speak. You'll experience God once the Yetzirah is removed. And the Gemara says there, Rav Acha, Omar Rav Acha, the use of the singular, singular word, Libchem, your heart, <coughs> singular in this verse, is because at the end of days, only one heart is left intact, meaning that God will uproot the secondary element, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination from the heart of all mankind, as Yecheskel predicts, God will remove the heart of stone from their bodies, and the only thing that will be left will be a heart of flesh, a heart that's willing to be kind, a heart that's only willing to do good. And this is the joy uh, of the Yetzatov, of the good inclination, which at the end of the days is, uh, again, the Chidah speaking, uh, the good inclination, which at the end of days will have no antagonist to battle. Therefore, Yeshaya says, Yeshayahu says, you'll recognize and rejoice in your heart because the only thing that will be there will be tov, will be good, goodness. You only think good things. Similarly, uh, he points out, and this is a very, very, this is where it gets really, really a little bit, not a little bit, a lot deeper. He says, similarly, we see in Parashas Noah, after the flood, when everyone comes out of the ark, when we say everyone comes out of the ark, we're talking about Noah and his three children and uh, their wives and their children and uh, the animals. Um, what's the first thing that Noah does? What's the first thing that Noah does when he comes out of the ark? So the Torah tells us. Comes out of it. He comes to the vine. No, that's not the first thing he does. Vayiven Noach Mizbeach Hashem. The first thing that Noach did was build an altar to God. Vayikach Mikola Vehema Hatahora, and he took all the clean animals. As from all the clean animals, when we call her Ophatar, and from all the clean fowl, Bayal Olos Bemizbech, and he brought a burnt offering on the altar, which is one of the reasons why there were seven 
pairs of every kosher animal and only two pairs of every non-kosher animal. But uh, so he brought kosher animals and he offered them on Emisbeer, on an altar, as olos, burnt offerings. And it says, God smelled the pleasant aroma, so to speak. And God said to himself, God said in his heart, whatever that means, I will no longer curse the earth because of man. For the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will no longer strike all living things as I have just done. That's God's promise after they came out of the ark. Because Noah brought some sacrifices. So Rashi, Rashi says over there, What does it mean? That the nature of a human being's heart is evil from his youth. Now Rashi points out that the word mina urov is written without a vov, implying that from the time that the, the embryo shakes himself, nina'ar, mina urov comes from the language of nina'er, to shake, to move around in the womb, nina'er, l'na'er. So Rashi says over there, from the time that he, the embryo, shakes himself and wants to emerge from his mother's womb, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, is then placed inside him. That's the Yetzirah Adam Ra Minurov. This is a proof to our Gemara. It's the proof to the Marashah. What Rashi is saying here that when a, when an embryo grows in the womb, there's no Yetzirah. When the baby comes down the birth canal and is born, Nunair. When it wants to be born, it shakes himself. It shakes the mother with the contractions, and it wants to be born. At that time, when is the Yetzirah inserted into a human being? When it is traveling down the birth. It's not part of the creative process. It's not. It's an external tool that God inserts into a human being as it is born, when it emerges from the womb. And uh, that's Rashi's take. And uh, what Rashi says there is exactly the point that Marshall is making in our Gemara. And God says that after the flood, below Osif Od Lahakas as I will no longer destroy all living things again. And the reason is, as the Possek says, very strange. Because I, God, inserted this external Yetzara into the the human being, just before they were born. When the human beings sin, it is not an inherent act that defines their essence. What they are doing is unfortunately surrendering to an external force that I, God, inserting, inserted into their being that allows them to either defy the evil urges and become godlike and be rewarded or succumb and embrace their evil urges and act in a wicked fashion, and be punished for that. But either way, those actions, whether for good or for evil, don't define what a human being is. Don't define their essence. 
So God says, I will not take terminal action against humanity again, irrespective of how, how far down the dark road of evil they allow themselves to go, guided by the Yetzirah into oblivion. I will never, ever allow myself, so to speak, as the, the verse says, very strange verse. Um, you know, people often skate by it. It says that uh, Hashem el God said to his own heart, I'm never going to destroy the earth again because of the way men behave. For that human being's evil is external. And therefore I will never destroy humanity again like I've just done. Now these words are very, very difficult to understand. Um, That uh, God says, you know, God's God's, um, uh, tells us that uh, the evil inclination is something external, that it's not inherent, uh, it's not a a part of of the human being that defines their essence. Um, And God says, you know, they're just surrendering. The Jewish, the people, hum, human beings, when they do wicked things, they're just surrendering to the power of the Yetzirah, which I inserted inside them as a tool for them to achieve their own potential. So, and, and God says, you know, I'm never going to destroy them. Because of that, I'm never going to destroy them. I won't destroy them again. I've just realized that. Now, there's an obvious question on this explanation as it relates to the story of Noah. Like, was it only after the flood, 1656 years after the creation, and after wiping out humanity in a terrible flood, that God realized this notion that man is Ram Minu Uro, that God is, that man is not essentially evil. Uh, it's just that God has inserted this external force inside him that drags him down the road to evil behavior. And so God promises never going to destroy the world again, because man couldn't be held fully responsible for their actions. Because as Rashi says, God himself had inserted this Yetzirah inside of him before he was born that seduced him to sin. A man's essence was not evil after all. Why didn't God apply this logic before the flood and refrain, refrain from wiping out everything he'd created in the first place? Like what? Like Mimonav show. Like what, 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 what's Rashi saying here? What's, what's the story of this verse with, with Noah? That God says, you know, I now realize 1656 years after the creation that really man can't be fully held responsible for his actions. And really, you know, I'm never going to destroy the world again because the HRR, which I inserted inside him really isn't a part of him. And he can't be held fully responsible for all his actions. Because after all, it was me that created this external force that pushes him, seduces him, tempts him to do evil. And therefore, now I've realized that. So now I'm not going to destroy the world again like I just did with the flood. Well, didn't God know that before the flood? Why did God destroy them with it? What? He he didn't know. God didn't know what he'd done originally with Adam. That Adam had been created with an external Yetzirah, which we call the snake, and it was only after he sinned that the uh, Yetzirah became internal, that it was internalized. 
and it, it's an external piece of us that it doesn't define what we are and therefore we can't be held fully responsible for our actions because God inserted that Yetzirah inside of us and God's just realized it now just after he's destroyed the whole of the Yakum, he's destroyed the whole of the creation and he says, oh, gee whiz, I wish I'd re- worked this out before. I now realize there's a whole big mistake I made here. They sinned and they got themselves into terrible trouble. The Dor Hamabul, the generation of the flood, they got themselves into terrible trouble. Uh, but it wasn't really their fault. And I really shouldn't have destroyed them. You know, because now I realize, uh, you know, they were only acting out in a way that I designed that they should. I gave them that possibility. I put that external force inside them. I'm partially con- con- contributed to the way they went downhill. Ki Adam Ra That I, so to speak, I inserted this, this Yetzirah inside of them. And God says, well, on that basis, I- I'm sorry about the flood. I'm never going to do it again. What, why didn't God realize this before the flood took place? And say, give, give himself the same argument. What does it mean? This is a very, very important point. I'm going to leave you with this question. Why is God's expression, God's excuse, God's logic for not destroying the world again after the flood? Um, Because, you know, I suddenly realized that man can't be fully held responsible for their actions. Why wasn't that an excuse for God to refrain from doing, from bringing the flood in the first, the first time around? Why didn't God use that argument first time around and say to himself, you know, I really can't destroy the world. I can't bring a flood. I'd like to because of the behavior that's going on, but I can't really do it because because I'm really partially to blame for that because I'm, I inserted the Yetzirah, I inserted this external force inside them. If I wouldn't have done that, so they wouldn't have been evil. Their essence is good. I just inserted this external force inside them to trap them, to seduce them, to tempt them to sin. So when they sin, it's partially my fault and I shouldn't have destroyed them. in the. If I'm not going to destroy them in the future, I certainly shouldn't have destroyed them in the past. So that is a philosophical question that comes out of our possible. And this idea of Lave Evan, a heart of stone being replaced by a lave bossa. How is it possible? How is it possible that God uses this, this logic that the Mashal discusses, that the Gomorrah discusses, that the Yechesko brings out in this verse, that, so to speak, the Yetzirah that we have, God's partially responsible for it. And therefore, you know, God sort of owes us a favor. And at the end of days, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take it out. He's going to remove the lave ever. He's going to remove that heart of stone. And, uh, you know, and if you want to understand it, go back to the story of the flood. God says, you know, I'm not going to destroy the world again because uh, I, I realize now that I'm partially to blame for their actions. Well, if you're partially to blame for their actions, why did you bring the flood first time around? So that's the question I'm going to leave you with. Um, to ponder um and uh please god will come up with a an absolutely extraordinary answer next week uh, i haven't got time now um but the answer is quite extraordinary and goes to the very heart of what is expected of us 
and what is not expected of us. Uh, and it goes to the very heart of the situation we are in now. God has done steps one and two. God has returned us to the land. He's gathered us from all over the world miraculously. He's given us the land of Israel. We've got autonomy. And now he expects some stuff from us. He expects, he only expects one thing, um, which is in, contained in verse 18. Uh, and at that point, God says, yeah, if, if, if you can, if you can achieve this, if you can remove the shikut sehem, if you can remove the toav sehem, if you can accept, so to speak, the objective morality of the Torah, then I'll remove the Yetzara. I'll remove like there will be Lebechad. There'll be no reason to hate anybody. There'll be no reason to even think about doing something evil. I'll replace the Lev Ever, the Yetzara, and all that will be left will be a Lev Basar, will be the Yetzatot. So this all goes back to the story of Noah. What is God talking about? What does he mean? I would never have, if I don't know what I, if I knew, God says like, if I, if I knew then what I knew now, I'd never have brought, brought the flood. Well, he did know then what he knows now. God is, you know, God, God is not uh, defined by time. God's not defined by any limitations. He knew exactly what was going on with the flood. So if man is essentially a good creature, just that God, so to speak, played around with the game and inserted something that into us that makes us um, not makes us, but induces us, seduces us, t- tempts us to do evil. And that God accepts part of that blame. Then why did he say, I'm not going to destroy the world again. He shouldn't have destroyed the world in the first place. So that, that is the question we'll deal with next time. Please God. Um, everyone should have a great week. Um, I hope everyone understood what I, the points I was trying to bring out today. And as I said, we'll get to the depth of this verse and try and understand what it means for us 21st century living in Israel, those not living in Israel, but 21st century Jews that can experience the return. These promises having been fulfilled, these prophecies of Yechezkel being fulfilled or partially fulfilled at least, and what is expected from us in return and uh, answering this very, very difficult philosophical question in relation to God and what does it mean that human beings are ra mina urav? They're evil only from the point of birth. That uh, essentially are um, the embryo. What we are, the essence of what we are, is not evil at all. It's only good. We've got a lev basar, and God inserts a lev even just before we're born. And uh, how does that relate to the story of the flood? Okay, that's enough. Uh, wish everybody a good week. Shavuot uh, Tov and a Gitavoch um, and a good Shabbos and I'll see you please God hopefully with a bigger crowd uh, in health and happiness the same time same place next week five, <coughs> five o'clock next Monday Call-